Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 49. And today we're going to be talking about Pentecostalism and the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's do this. How are you guys doing today? Thank you guys so much for joining us today on this podcast episode. And as always, we have Bernard and Shu with us. How are you guys doing? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. Yes, yes. We have a very special guest with us. Faculty advisor, director of worship and creative arts at Bastards College and Seminary, author of The Holy Spirit in Worship Music, Preaching and the Altar, a Renewing Pentecostal Corporate Worship. He has his own YouTube channel, Theology Breakdown, where he unpacks theological ideas and he relates them personally and in, in the context of community. He is our friend and former classmate at Tyndale from over a decade ago, Dr. Josh Samuel. How are you? Hey, hey. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Better because I'm connecting with you guys. It's uh, been too long. And so uh, definitely I got a lot of love and respect for you guys uh, going back to the days at Tyndale and just seeing how you guys are growing in the Lord, even with this podcast. Yeah, I'm really thankful to be here with you all. That was so encouraging. Just right off the top of the bat. That was awesome. <laughs> you know what? We have to ask you a very important question. We, we made sure that we put this at the top of our list. We need to know more about Doc J, your rap alter ego. When are we getting an LP? <laughs> and, you know, can you throw down some rhymes for us? Drop, drop, drop some lines, man. Drop some, drop some lines. Yes. Well, let me tell all you people that I just can't wait to stand before the Lord and enter in his gate to say to me, your son, well done, because you built your life upon the only one. Enter now through the joy of the Lord. Come, you mighty warrior, lay down your sword. So it's just like a rhyme that someone else wrote, and I just uh, picked it up from way back in the day. Uh, I used to listen to a, a lot of gospel, holy hip hop growing up. You know, even when I prepare for my podcast or videos, I got a playlist of old school Christian rap that I listen to that kind of get me pumped up. So uh, it's just a, it's just a fun part of me. I used to like when I was growing up in the church. Uh, once in a while, I, I had actually rapped. It was an Indian Pentecostal church. Whoa! Uh, nice. And so <laughs> it was I feel fun. like we need another episode there, right there. Oh yes, <laughs> that's a whole other episode. We got to yeah, have Josh yeah. back on to talk about that one. <laughs> Yo, man, just from you rapping, you, you're leaving us wanting. So I, we're just encouraging you. We, we're, we're total fans and we, we will cheer you on. We'll buy your album. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was for my gra- the students. I'm a faculty advisor for the fourth year class that just graduated. And so that was just one way I could kind of honor them. And I love how you, in that rap, you also talked about keep your theology sound. That was so good. So jumping into our conversation today, you know, for our listeners who may not be as familiar Can you give a brief definition or rundown about what Pentecostalism is and how you've come to understand it? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. You know, you're talking about trying to categorize around, some people say around 600 million people. But I guess, you know, the the word itself, Pentecostal, is a hint towards what Pentecostals are trying to do, right? You go back to Acts chapter 1 and 2, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. You got Jesus telling his disciples, uh, he says, Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And then he says later on in verse eight, and you'll receive power with the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes on, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we know that the disciples wait, right? And we go into Acts chapter two, and it's the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost comes, they're all together in one place. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues of the Spirit enabled them. So Pentecostal gives a hint at what Pentecostals want is, is Pentecost, that day of Pentecost experience, right? Where they waited on the Holy Spirit. That baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that really is highlighted, uh, particularly among classical Pentecostals. And of course, now I'm getting into even categories within Pentecostals. But if, you, if you're looking at generally speaking, if you look at some of the scholarship out there when they're trying to look at what is a Pentecostal, quite often it's just that radical experience of the Holy Spirit. Where there's a sense of that felt experience of the Holy Spirit for growth, for transformation, for the gifts of the Spirit, etc. You know, even in my book, The Holy Spirit in Worship Music, Preaching the Altar, it came out of a lot of my research for my PhD work on theology as well. And I kind of make the argument that not only do we need to look at the day of Pentecost to understand Pentecostals, you got to understand their worship. And a, a scripture verse that I really looked at for my book was First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 to 25. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, If an unbeliever and an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they're convicted of sin and they're brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Mm. Uh, so there's that sense of, wow, he's really here. It, like, there's a felt sense of, the, of God being there through the work of the Spirit. That is kind of like an underlying thing you can see among all P- Pentecostals. I think regardless of the various categories that I can unpack as well. Uh, but that's kind of like an underlying premise among all Pentecostals, I think worldwide. But, you know, but then, of course, I can go into the categories because that, that's also part of it, too. <laughs> so my question is kind of like a lot of a lot of times Pentecostalism roots itself at Azusa Street Revival, right? That's usually most people have considered. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, what's the deeper roots? Like, what are the other influences that have formed? I mean, it's hard to say. I know, like, there's like a larger family of Pentecostalism, but I'm just kind of curious. Uh, you know, you, you raise a really important question. I actually included that question a little bit in my appendix of my book. And basically, I basically look at five historical precedents to the early Pentecostal experience. A a few of them I looked at was African-American spirituality, Mm. the revivalist tradition, Methodism, the holiness movement, and some proto-Pentecostal groups that were really arising during the, you know, the early 1900s. So there's a lot going on there. African-American spirituality was obviously a huge part of it. You know, if you think about the leader at the Azusa Street Revival was William Seymour you know, an African-American man in the early 1900s where there's extreme racism. You know, you're talking about racism today in 2020, like the amount of racism that was around at that time was devastating, terrible, Mm. right? Right. There's a lot of 
terrible things now, but even then it was, it was unbelievable. But, you know, he was leading a multicultural group of people who are seeking more of God, which was fascinating at Azusa, right? You got a, a, an African-American man and, and whites and uh, Latinos and all these different uh, uh, types of groups are coming there to, you know, seek more of God and experience a, a work of the Spirit. Here's the thing. When you look at the scholarly work on this, a lot of scholars, you know, you think about people like Alan Anderson and others, have pointed out that you really can't just look at Azusa Street. I kind of make the argument, even a little bit in my book, is that you really have to look at a, ver- a variety of influences. You know, even George Whitfield and the revivalist tradition that was developing in the Americas, right, and in, 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 in Europe and, and, and elsewhere. And, and where they were experiencing a work of the spirit, it was emotional. It was fervent. The preaching was fervent. You know, you look at even in India, you know, there was a Mukti mission with Pandita Ramabai. And uh, this lady among a lot of females were seeking the Lord. And they had experiences of the spirit, speaking in tongues and all these different things going on. And they all kind of informed one another. So Azuzo, I think, what Azusa did is that it popularized these experiences of the spirit and this type of expectation for something like spirit baptism with tongues uh, alongside all these other gifts of the spirit, like healing and miracles and prophesying, etc. Wow, it's got this deep historical global roots. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's so cool to see how all these things have influenced and impacted, you know, modern day Pentecostalism and, and the movement. And that's fascinating. Like, you know, I, I just learned a whole lot in the last two minutes, which is okay. amazing. <laughs> it's good. You know, for those of you guys listening out there, still go pick up Josh's book. There's, there's so much more in there. As you were talking about, you know, where it's kind of led to and, you know, the, the result of Azusa Street and how it's kind of shaped everything as well. As we're thinking about that movement and how people often kind of also characterize it with the charismatic movement, how would you say, you know, Pentecostalism and the charismatic movements, how are they connected or how are they different? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And so, like, you know, when, you know, when people want to talk about, you know, especially when scholars want to talk about, hey, you need to study and understand Pentecostalism, they often talk about, hey, they got around 600 million people, you know, li- likely going to maybe 800 uh, million in 2025, some people have estimated it. So, mm. like, wow, like, it's a global, one of the fastest growing religious sects in the world. So, we have to understand it. They're often including that charismatic movement as well when they're talking about Pentecostals. So, okay, what's the connection? So first, you got the classical Pentecostals. So they were groups like Assemblies of God, Church of God, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. Uh, Some of those older denominations associated with Pentecostalism, they often are distinguished by an emphasis on subsequence. What, What I mean by that is after salvation, you can also experience something called spirit baptism, where uh, Jesus baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, and the sign of that is tongues, right? Classical Pentecostals are usually associated with that. And that experience will help you further your walk with the Lord and ultimately help you in your witness to Jesus Christ, 
right? Because, you know, they, they, they look at, you know, to Jesus, what he said, right? You know, wait, you know, wait until you, you receive this gift. Why? In, in, in verse eight, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. And so witness is a, a really important part of that dimension, especially when, when classical Pentecostals discuss, you know, that experience of the Spirit. And of course, they also believe in all the other gifts of the Spirit that, you know, maybe traditionally have maybe not been emphasized as much in some other evangelical uh, groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, in the early 1900s, moving on forward, we had these independent churches that were birthed in revival movements uh, around the time of classical Pentecostals as well, around places like in Africa. But they may not hold to those really tight definitions of spirit baptism with tongues. They would definitely emphasize an experience of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, but maybe not be so tightly bound to certain doctrinal definitions uh, as a classical Pentecostals would do. Then you got the charismatics in some of the older churches, particularly Roman Catholicism and Anglicanism, where they were all of a sudden, you know, seeking spirit baptism with tongues also. And they're like, hey, like, we can do this too. And so you would actually, you know, you you got charismatic Catholics, charismatic Anglicans. Mm. The difference between that group and classical Pentecostals would be that the classical Pentecostals often were kind of disassociated with their with their earlier denominations they're a part of like sometimes they might have got kicked out okay or they just weren't you know welcomed and so they kind of in, in some ways had to start their own little group because they got nowhere to, to go whereas with the charismatics who were in these uh, churches in the, around the 1960s they were able to say hey we can take this experience and and still stay within our own fellowship stay, still stay within our denomination and so that's something that's been really characterized by so the charismatics. And of course, nowadays, they may not be as so closely interested in just saying spirit baptism with tongues is an important marker. They might just say, hey, any of the gifts of the spirit, alongside our traditional views on what it means to be an Anglican or a Roman Catholic. And then, of course, when you get into the late 1970s, 1980s, you have a lot of what people refer to as kind of neo-charismatic churches, maybe a little bit more independent uh, churches, mega churches, even like the Vineyard Movement. And uh, of course, they would also kind of emphasize an experience of the Spirit as well, but they would take it in different ways. You know, if you, you know, in, in my, even my own study on, on worship, looking at the Vineyard Movement, one of the things that they emphasized was, yeah, you had experience of the Spirit, not just for necessarily for witness, but for intimate communion with the Father. Right. You see that in the language of people like Brian Dirksen and others, part of that movement. Comes out in their songs. Absolutely. You know, people like Alan Anderson, I think, kind of help us in thinking that way of like, hey, when you when you look at Pentecostals, like, it's helpful to kind of think of at least maybe at least four. You probably distinguish even further, but just for, you know, have a general picture of things. There's at least four. Classical Pentecostals, number one, independent churches. Uh, number two, charismatics in older churches. And number four, kind of those neo-charismatic movements like the Vineyard who came on a little bit later. Wow. That's a mouthful there. I just said a lot there. So that was, That's <laughs> <Sorry>. fascinating though. <laughs> and I think, you know, you give a way for us to kind of distinguish, but also kind of understand the roots of where everything comes from. Now, do they all get together? Like it's like you know, is 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 it something that would unite all people who consider themselves Pentecostal? Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of different uh, groups. Uh, you know, there's for instance, uh, 
the uh, David Wells, who's currently the general superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, uh, he's actually been appointed uh, as the, the president of the Pentecostal Charismatic Churches of North America. And so that's kind of an, a group that kind of brings alongside all types of Pentecostals and Charismatics together, uh, particularly in North America. And then how do you find that intersects with, let's just like the evangelical movement? Like how, how is there these cross connections there? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a great question. You know, there's been a lot of debate about that. And you, you can't help but see a lot of the connections between Pentecostals and evangelicals. There are some people who want to distinguish the two. Whereas some people might say, hey, Pentecostalism can be within the evangelical movement. You know, if you look at the Alliance movement, for instance, a lot of the, you know, key doctrinal positions within the Alliance movement have very similar connections with the Pentecostal movement, right? You know, Jesus as healer, Jesus as sanctifier, and then Jesus baptizer would be kind of that additional thing. Yeah, the Alliance and Pentecostals were actually from similar roots. It yeah. was actually because of spirit-filled baptism through tongues. That was kind of what severed. Even today, if you look at the documents, it's like it's almost exactly the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Jesus says that soon coming king, right? Like, you know, th- those those are huge, right? And so you would even, if you see it, some of the early Pentecostal literature, even if from, coming from the Azusa Street Revival, they'll even kind of uh, quote, you know, you know, Martin Luther or, you know, people within the Alliance movement and others who kind of brought about important doctrinal developments. And so Pentecostals, uh, particularly the early Pentecostals would say, hey, we're just kind of in line with that and kind of adding another one that, you know, I think is important to highlight, they would, they would say. So in, in many ways, we're part of the same family. In, in other ways, there, there are some differences, of course, as well. So what do you think it is about the Pentecostal tradition as, you know, from your own personal experience or from hearing your students' experiences, what really draws people into that tradition and into that movement? Like, what is it about it that is makes it so fast growing in the world? I think that's a really good question. You know, I've thought about that for a while. And I think whether you, you know, read scholarly literature or others, I think it, it, it connects with the human experience. Right. Mm. I think if you look at certain movements, they may want to highlight right thinking, right doctrine, like get your doctrine right, you know, believe this kind of like intellectual assent. And, mm. and I think that is important, you know, even for me, you know, I, I obviously, you know, I did my PhD in theology because I, I, I believe in the beauty of theology and how important it is. But I think what Pentecostals have highlighted is that as I said before, that radical experience of the Holy Spirit, radical encounters with God. And I think that's an important dimension of the human experience. Like we're not just, you know, brains on a stick, you know, like we're, 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 we're thinking things, but we're also people who experience. And so obviously there's dangers and blessings of that as well. You know, we could talk about that as well. You know, there's good things and bad about that. But the same thing could be said about those who follow just kind of an intellectual approach to understanding Christianity. And so, you know, I, I talk about this a little bit, you know, those of you who are, you know, like Wesley, you know, you know, he talked about, you know, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, you know, the, the quadrilateral, those four sources for authority. And so if we exclude experience, I think we're missing out. You know, I think about the Apostle Paul. 
you know, the Apostle Paul, he was really knowledgeable, right? Trained as a Pharisee, knew the scriptures. But what is it that really changed him? It was an encounter, right? Mm -hmm. The road to Damascus, right? Someone didn't say, hey, you know, look at Isaiah 60 through 53 over here. And he's (laughs) like, okay, you're right. You know, it was a radical experience with God. And so I, I think that's a big part of it. Experience is important, but I think another part, I think, is that the Pentecostal movement also emphasizes a worldview that isn't just kind of natural. There's a supernatural dimension to life. Mm. And so if you go to places like Africa, Latin America, that's already assumed, right? Like we who live in the West, we kind of come from a more, maybe a more secular worldview where we assume maybe, you know, people might assume, okay, we shouldn't include God. But in other contexts, they're like, of course, of course, there's a supernatural world. Of course, there's maybe demons and angels and all that. And so the Pentecostal worldview really does allow room for that and really emphasizes that. And so when people come out of different traditions, maybe not even Christian, they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, we already believe that. That's right. And so I think there's that connection there, that second element, the supernatural dimension that I think different ethnic groups around the world already assume that. That's why I think you see it blowing up in, in Africa and Latin America mm-hmm. uh, and even ch- in, in, in house churches in China from from what I've read. And I think thirdly, I think you could talk about the postmodernism as well, right? Postmodernism is, isn't just about, you know, you know, give me the facts, you know, give me the apologetics and, you know, okay, you, you've argued me, argued so rightly that I'm going to change my mind. Obviously, I'm not denying the importance of apologetics, it's still crucial, of course. But I think the postmodern context really does emphasize the role of experience and how experience and testimony and sharing your story is a really important dimension of uh, coming to truth. Man, that is a lot to consider. And just not only to consider from what is distinct about, you know, the Pentecostal movement, but even for our faith, right, as a whole. And you you spoke about so many things in there that is so crucial for our walk with Christ. Yeah. You know, for us to seriously consider what does that mean for us to live into that and to experience that is so important. And actually, one of the things I think that is part of your brilliance, even though like Shu Bernard and I have known you for so many years, it, one of the part, things I think I've really appreciated you over the many years is your ability to also bring it together and to balance things out. And not only are you really able to concisely and clearly articulate, you know, the what Pentecostalism is and in your experiences with it, but you also be, were able to say like, hey, you know, there needs to be a solid biblical foundation to Pentecostal worship. It can't just be anti-intellectual you know, there has to be this connection between the human experiences and with the word. We can't be focused too much on signs or too music centric. We can't dismiss the supernatural or like you're really good at like almost synthesizing and bringing these things together and not to go to any extreme and but also not to neglect. And I think that's all part of like, you know, forming this full and holistic way of following Christ. Um, and so, thank you so much for that. I think your your books and you know, what you've written and, and, of course, your YouTube stuff has, has been a gift to us. So, thank you. Thanks, John. In your book, you wrote that the variety of gifts among preachers and congregations can contribute to preaching in a variety of ways, not just limited to healing and miracles. Further, the emphasis on the results like healing and miracles fails to account for various other needs among the congregation. You also wrote, we need to give room for people to experience a move of God while doing our best 
to safeguard against the erroneous use of this element in our churches. And so what are some of the things that you are specifically kind of critiquing against? You know, what are some examples? Yeah, so I, I guess like, you know, obviously, you know, I grew up in the, the uh, Pentecostal tradition. You know, my grandfather was like first president of the Indian Pentecostal Church of God in India. And so classical Pentecostal denomination in India. And so my dad came out of that tradition, of course. He kind of rebelled against it, came back, thank God, uh, many years <laughs> later. Uh, and then my mom was Mrs. Holy Ghost, you know. <laughs> you know, so she, I mean, uh, what I mean by that is like, you know, growing up, of course, uh, the language spoken at home is Malayalam. Well, they spoke it. We spoke English, of course. I, I wish I learned more of that. But anyways, one of the languages in India. And so sometimes I hear, hear a prayer when I was a young kid. And I remember hearing her prayer. And I just thought she was speaking in Malayalam, which is the language of our home from back in India. And I realized later, no, she was speaking in tongues. <laughs> mm. So, you know, that tradition has obviously been a big part of my growing up. And so, but at the same time, like, you know, we talk about, you know, my, some of my critique that comes out of my, some little bit of my experience, I'll be mm. honest. Like, you know, I, I did see, you know, within certain Pentecostal contexts where there is kind of a bit of excess and abuse, right? I'm not saying it's all the time, but you could see it. And so that really bothered me a lot, even as a young kid. Like sometimes I'd see stuff on stage. And I'm like, oh, I'm not sure about that. You know, this guest speaker, what he's saying. <laughs> and so that really influenced the way I, even my studies and my academic journey, you know, so for one of my masters, I did an, an examination of T.D. Jakes and Billy Graham through the lens of African-American homiletical theory. Wow, cool. <laughs> yeah, so I really want to look, you know, T.D. Jakes, uh, Black Pentecostal. And, and I did another master's, and I did it on the Doctrine of Scripture and the Theology of Jonathan Edwards. Why did I do Jonathan Edwards? You know, he's a Reformed guy, right? You know, you typically don't think of Reformed Pentecostals. They're out there, but typically don't see that. And But why did I do that? Well, I saw the excess where sometimes people would blame the Holy Ghost on bad theology. What I saw in Jonathan Edwards is that he experienced great revivals, experiences of the Spirit. Now, of course, he, he wouldn't have subscribed to some of the, the, the ways uh, classical Pentecostals and other Pentecostals may think about some of the gifts of the Spirit, Spirit baptism, etc. Nevertheless, uh, he did experience incredible revivals. But he was a man of prayer and a man of word. And mm -hmm. so that really touched me. And for me, he, in, in a way, was a little bit of a model for me that, yeah, you could be someone who experiences the spirit and expect great works in corporate worship, but you can also be someone who is really engaged in scriptures and really engaged in prayer and, and those important elements. And so that's a little bit of my journey. And so, of course, it came into fruition with my, like my, my, my later work in the book that it came out. I, I think one of the challenges, and so I talked about the blessings, right? I, you know, previously, I talked about some of the blessings of a focus on the experience of the Spirit. One of the challenges, of course, is that sometimes maybe the Spirit's leading me, and I, I, I assume that that's what everybody else needs to do. Maybe, maybe the Spirit's leading me to, to, to make a decision or to do something or, you know, people would say, you know, don't watch television, you know, you know whatever it might be, you know. And, and maybe that's something that maybe the, the God led them that they need to do. But I don't need to tell everybody else that that's what they need to do also, right? And so sometimes what you could sometimes see is that sometimes legalism could kind of come into play here. Obviously, there's connections to the holiness movement and all that as well, but just kind of blaming the spirit on maybe things that 
are inappropriate or maybe some things that are just for you, which is why, as you said, you know, we need word and spirit, word and spirit. So crucial. Amen. Word and spirit. And because it's saying, you know, the, the, it's, the scriptures are inspired by the spirit, you know? And so I really kind of try to talk to Pentecostals and say, hey, remember, you know, the word of God inspired by the Spirit. That's a work of the Spirit also. So don't assume that any work of the Spirit is merely something where you feel like something wonderful on your, in your body, you know, or like, you know, it has to be, it's not always, it could, like the scriptures are there, you know, God has spoken. And so we, we need to include that dimension of the Spirit through the work of God's Word in our lives. And so that, that's an important dimension exalting Jesus, you know, that's all, that's been an emphasis within the early Pentecostals and Alliance and others, but is the spirit exalting us or is it, is it really exalting Jesus? I think that's, that was an important dimension, I think as well. That's really important. Another element with, you know, when I talk about criticism is sometimes we think that the spirit is like, you know, remember growing up, I'm going to date myself now, but you know, he man, you know, you got the (laughs) ring on, Amen. You got the ring. You know, pow. Now he's now he's gonna beat everybody up. You know, like now you got I the, have power. the power. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes I think people within the church kind of see like experience of the spirit, and even or you know for classical Pentecostal spirit baptism or whatever as kind of like now you got the power, and now you're gonna have a church of two thousand people believe it. You know, or you know because I got the spirit now, like when I preach this sermon everybody's going to get saved, you know? But here's the thing, and, and actually Amos Young, a Pentecostal scholar who I worked on him with one of his books, reminded me that, you know, we think about the first martyr, right? You know, you read in, in, in the book of Acts, you got Stephen, mm-hmm. right? Preaching. And what happens to him? He's anointed full of the Holy Ghost. And what happens to him? He's killed. Uh-oh. <laughs> that doesn't do anything good to my understanding of the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and I, legend, I think that's... Legend by stones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And so I, I, I think we it was, uh, it was a little bit of a critique as well to Pentecostals that sometimes think that experience of the Spirit, signs, wonders are all of a sudden going to make, have success in, a, in, a, in the sense of the, the, that the world wants. Triumphalism. Triumphal, Absolutely. That's excellent. Yeah. And so it's about following Jesus and following Jesus uh, includes you know, dying to self and maybe yeah. includes dying like Stephen did. So those wow. are some things that, you know, I thought about. Truth. Yeah, <laughs> great. great to think about. Yeah, that is very good to think about. A few of us in our initial pastors conversation group that, that we've been going through material from Dr. Andrew Root. And he, he talks a lot about Charles Taylor's work being in the secular age. There is some critique, well, definitely philosophically, from a Western North American side that has brought us to a place where we deny almost the pre-modern tendencies. Oh, yeah, that's supernatural. Mm. So I'm going to set up my rational bubble to make sure that I'm not affected by this stuff. But Root's contention, which is so fascinating, is that because we've set up a bubble that way, we're both trying to get out the demons, but we also get out God. Mm. And mm. there's this wow. interesting interplay that, that's happening right now. And I find that we're, we're kind of living in that, but yet we also, like you're saying, in a postmodern kind of society too, where people are becoming more open to that again. Like I do find it interesting that like in particular ethnicities or you know, non-North American groups that are like simply trying to think rationally or enlightenment kind of stuff, 
Yeah. There's more openness over there, but then mm-hmm. here it's like, no, we got to question everything and make sure it's all airtight, rational kind of stuff. Right. Right. Which I wonder if that's also part of why, you know, like Josh, you were saying there's like a, a rapid growth of Pentecostalism around the world. Right. And I think there is some correlation to that as well. You know, like that there is an openness, there is an understanding that, you know, the mystical is not to be feared and the mystical is not meant to be explained. And I, I think like there might be some correlation uh, to what's happening around the world right now. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, this is really fascinating because I think it's easy just to approach it, you know, from one standpoint, like the Western standpoint, but maybe if we consider like the Eastern standpoint and having kind of that heritage and that culture already embedded and ingrained that, you know, they're, they're more willing to accept, you know, the supernatural. They're more willing to accept that like, oh, like, you know, the understanding of the spirit's movement in a person's life, that perhaps, you know, that's why certain cultures and heritages may gravitate more toward the Pentecostal movement. Amos Young, who was my thesis supervisor. Oh, wow. Um, we didn't get to talk a lot, but he, he did get to punch my thesis a few times. But, <laughs> um, it, you know, it was great reading his material. He said Pentecostalism, I think it was, like, he was talking, his book, The Future of Evangelical Theology, and he was talking about, like, how Pentecostalism is the most mobile of, of all the, you know, the Christian sects, essentially. Because you're, it's it's all these immigrant pathways are moving, you know, especially in, in North America, and they're the ones as you know they're influencing what's going on as they immigrate, emigrate. So it's just very interesting to see the why the kind of you know Pentecostal movement is is moving all over the place, and definitely because of immigration, just a huge part of that. Yeah, and, and even a lot of the growth, even North American Pentecostal churches, is a result of immigration, of people coming from various lands. And, you know, sometimes people talk about, hey, Pentecostal is growing so much in North America. And I think a big part of it is, yeah, it's because a lot of people are coming over, you know. So, yeah, it's a good point. You know, to kind of wrap up our time on this episode, you know, we wanted to kind of connect, you know, the work of the Spirit and mission. You know, as the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, we love to see how these different ideologies all are interconnected with one another already. And you wrote how, you know, the supernatural move of God in corporate worship is important for the mission of the church. And as we consider, you know, what is the mission of the church? What is the mission that God gives us? Does the work of the Spirit inform us on His mission? You know, how do you see kind of the bridge between, you know, the work of the Spirit and mission? How do you see this all connect together how does perhaps in in some unique way pentecostalism spurs our participation to be on god's mission that's a that's a great question you know i, I think about you know hearkening back to that uh, passage that i emphasize in first corinthians 14 24 to 25 paul says hey if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying you know experience of the spirit they're convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare so they will fall down and worship god exclaiming God is really among you. They worship. Why? Because the Spirit is genuinely moving among God's people. And they can't help but just like be like, whoa, God is here. Mm. God is here, right? And I think there's a sense of, hey, let's be sensitive to the Spirit's leading in what we're doing. I talk a little bit about this in my book as well, about, you know, allowing the Spirit to be our worship leader. 
you know, I think a lot of times we use the language, you know, I'm, you know, I, I help lead songs as well at my church and, uh, and I enjoy that. You know, Paul writes, we who, who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus uh, in Philippines chapter three, verse three, you know, how, how they worship by the spirit of God. And I think that language may be helpful for us in seeing that, hey, can we see the spirit of God being our leader orchestrating our worship? And so there's a sense of sensitivity to the spirit. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, let's all just walk into a room and let's have no plans and just, uh, <laughs> you know. Free flow, free flow. Free flow, yeah. And that, that, that's actually, I think, an area that some Pentecostals fall, fell into and blame things on the spirit. You know, I, I, I think the spirit can obviously work in our preparation. I'll speak to you as a professor, you know, like when I'm, I'm teaching my courses, you know, at the top of my page, I write needs. You know, so like my PowerPoint slides, my study Bible, uh, my handouts, my quiz. And uh, the, the first thing I, I write there, and I'm not trying to brag or I don't know, maybe some people may not think this is a brag, <laughs> but, you know, I put Holy Spirit. You know, I write Holy Spirit because I really need the Holy Spirit to do what only he can accomplish. Mm. I can't get people to worship God with their lives or with their songs. Right. You know, and so like, I remember, you know, back in the day when sometimes when I would lead songs, for instance, and sometimes I felt I put the pressure all on me. And I remember, you know, I could still remember, you know, leading a service at 9am at a church and leading songs. And I felt like I was at the back of a school bus pushing everybody. I had to push everybody up to somehow (laughs) worship God. That's the, that's the mental image I had in my mind. And I was like, nobody's doing it. And then sometimes I felt like I was on the school bus because everyone's, everyone's a part of it. You know, everyone's doing well and it's, it's free flowing. And I realized that the, that was a wrong image, right? It, it's not up to me to somehow get people to worship it. It's the spirit. We're led by the spirit. You know, we're convicted by the spirit. We're convinced by the spirit. You know, I just need to be faithful and, and be sensitive to where the spirit's leading me as I prepare, as I'm diving into God's word, as I'm in prayer, as I'm seeking the Lord and allow the spirit to move. And so that may mean sometimes maybe being quiet and not saying anything. You know, there are moments that maybe even like when I led songs, I'd almost feel like I need to talk. I need to talk. And I'd be like, I felt in the spirit. Just nope, don't say anything right now. Just, you know, allow the spirit to move in God's people, allow the spirit to kind of work on their hearts. But sometimes we feel we have to do everything in our own strength, you know, especially as leaders, you know, you know, we want to do something. I have to do something Mm. to get people to do stuff, but it's really the spirit's work. And so I think the more we realize that, the more we'll be reliant on the spirit and say, God, I need you. Like, you know, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. I know I can't get this done on my own. And I think it it should lead us to a posture of humility and say, God, have your way. Because as many books I read on church growth, as many seminars and conferences I go to, that will all be null and void unless I'm fully reliant on the Spirit and allow the Spirit to do the work, because that's what's going to bring lasting change. Yes. Any change in our world, any change in our lives, any changes in our churches. Man, that is such a good word. Something to continue to always be mindful of. And perhaps we do need to write it on the top of all of our pages. We need the Holy Spirit to work. (laughs) You know, one of the things that we often do at the end of our episodes, we haven't done in a little while, is do our takeaway box. But I think one of the quotes from your book which Shu had actually wrote down in our, in our notes. 
and he wrote he wrote it in in relation to worship, but I think it it applies to all of life. And this comes from your book, and it's on page one seventeen. And shoot, did you want to read it out? Oh yeah, well for us, it's we like Fitch versus Fitch, David Fitch material. Just <laughs> the Samuel versus Samuel because we want to hear yes. the reasoning for how, why, why you said it this yes. way, or you know. But this is the takeaway box. Yes, <laughs> you said this by classifying song leaders as worship leaders. Churches are elevating song leaders to something that is impossible theologically. When humans are considered the worship leader, they are taking on a role that only the Spirit can take. So I know you already kind of touched upon that, but as also a worship leader and a person who's you know learned for a lot of time, that th- I love this quote. <laughs> I mm. Absolutely. Love this quote, and I just wonder, you know, like for you, like why did why did you write that and specifically write it like that, especially impossible theologically? Yeah, well, I mean, impossible theologically because the scripture says we worship by the Spirit of God, we're led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit convicts, convinces, and so as long as I somehow think it's up to me or the person on stage, man, that's a bad place to be. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to be in the place that the spirit can do. You know, the spirits work. Like, I'm. I, we know ourselves. You know, it, it's bad on so many levels. Number one, as a congregant or a participant in a church, it's bad for them because then all of a sudden they look at that person and they say, like, I can't worship because Shu didn't pick the wrong song, or maybe Sh- or Bernard's in sin right now. That's why nobody, you know, or I, Josh is in sin or whatever. That's why we can't worship. And, and that's, a, that's a bad place to be because, you know, it's a spirit's work to bring us to a place of worship, right? And it's, of course, we know that worship is not just about music. You know, it's another conversation. It's about all of our lives, right? It's bad for the participants, those who are part of the church, who are, you know, following the lead of those on stage and songs. But it's also bad for us as leaders. You know, if I put all the pressure on me, whether it's whether you're preaching, whether you're leading songs, that I got, it's up to me to bring about change. I'm gonna I'm gonna burn myself out. Like I'm, you, we're just not gonna last in ministry, mm. right? Because we're gonna think that all like I have to preach the most eloquent message. I have to, I have to get that right word for that sermon. I have to sing the note exactly this way like Hillsong or Elevation does for people to put their hands up or to really be excited about worshiping through song, right? And so so let's be honest, what happens sometimes, and we've probably been all there, I've been there, is we can kind of get into a place of maybe manipulation, right? You know, we, we, we can, you know, get people to sing that right song in this certain way or preach a certain way to get the right reaction. And we're kind of trying to do the Spirit's work when we can't. And, but what happens is we can get into manipulation. And of course, this relates even to my, a bit of my Pentecostal background who saw the excesses of people who would try to work up the crowd in a certain way. And it's like, are you just trying to do that to get that response? Mm. Because the response is a work of the spirit. Don't put that all on yourself. I'm not saying that, you know, we just, we, 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 we can't work hard. Like the Bible says we have to be faithful. You know, he's looking at that faithful and good servant. You know, that person is faithful with little, you know, will you know, receive much later, right? So we need to be faithful. But at the end of the day, the response for worship is, is God's work. It's, it's God's work from beginning to end. Worship begins with God. He's revealed himself. And uh, the response is also up to God. And so we're just part of that continuum where the, the, the triune God uh, is involved in all aspects of worship. That is so good. <laughs> and it's such a great way for us to 
you know, leave off our episode as as the final word because, you know, it is God's work. It is it is the spirit's movement. It is even the spirit leading us to respond. And I think, you know, you you just you just coined it really well there just that, you know, we can't even respond by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to be able to respond. And that goes for worship, that goes for mission, that goes for you know, you know, sanctification and change in our life. Like, oh man, so good. Josh, it's been such an honor to have you on. I know we see each other, you know, once every few years or so, but man, it's, it's just so good to hear some of your thoughts on this. It's, it's really refreshing. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a privilege to join you guys. I, I've listened to you guys in the past and you guys do a great job, you know, so anyone listening, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Yes. Uh, these guys do a, a great job. They, they have a great heart and I know these guys and these guys are genuine guys who really want to serve the Lord. And so uh, definitely follow these guys, John, Bernard, Shuling, all strong, positive, uh, high quality guys here. <laughs> That's so good. I don't even need to do my outro anymore. It's all good. It's all good. Hey, once again, you guys have been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. On behalf of Shu and Bernard and Josh and myself, see you next time. Peace. Peace. Thanks, guys.